We are in John chapter 15 today, and we've been going through the sermon series. It's time that Christ has shown up in this final ministry. Uh, and I am by no means a gardener uh, at all. We, quite frankly, we don't do a very good job of keeping plants and flowers alive. Um, but when we lived in our townhome years ago, we bought a rose bush and we planted it in the back corner, and it was wonderful because I really didn't have to do much. We, we put a hole in the ground, and then God made it rain, and then it just started to grow. Uh, and when this rose bush bloomed, it was amazing. You had these big, long stems, uh, and you would have these bright red color and these real lush kind of petals. It truly was a great kind of image to just see there sitting in the backyard when this thing was in full bloom. And um, eventually, though, those roses started to die. They started to turn a little bit darker red and then they started to turn brown and it looked like something was got on them and there were holes in it as if something was eating it. Uh, and then the petals, you'd go out and you'd touch them and they would just crumple to the ground and it would fall apart. And, and I thought to myself, man, what a shame. That just seemed like such a short season where it bloomed and then it was dead. And then somebody said to me, no, you have to trim it. And I was like, oh. So I went out and I got my little trimmers and I started to trim it a little bit. I, again, I had no idea what I'm doing. And I trimmed it and to my surprise, the rose came back. And I was like, wow, this is really cool. So then I was like, well, what if I trim it some more? So then I started hacking off like large stems of it and it would take longer to grow back. But when I would cut some of these really, really big portions off, it would come back again in full bloom. And I really did enjoy going out and kind of clipping uh, the rose bush. I really did. And then as I, you know, then we had these flowers and we could give them to people and it was wonderful. And then I started to think, boy, what a racket those flower companies are. Here I plant a rose. And I'm like, I'm giving these things away for free. You know, you know, Valentine's Day, you're dropping like 50 bucks for a couple of roses, right? Um, but, but as I had that experience and I thought about what I'm preaching on today, I thought, you know, there's a lot that I learned from that rose bush of what God does in our lives and what God intends to do in our lives. Uh, so again, we're talking about what God is committed to and God is committed to his death and he's committed to his kingship. We talked about how God loves those that are unlovable like Judas and Peter. And then last week, as, as his disciples were worried, he said, I'm going to offer to you my Holy Spirit and I will promise to you an eternal comfort and both a, an earthly comfort that I will care for you in all situations. And I promise you, I will never, ever leave you as an orphan. And so that's what we talked last week. Uh, and so if you have your Bibles there, you can open up again. John 15, we're going to start in verse 1. It says, I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. He prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. And you are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me and I will remain in you, and no branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in me, the vine, and neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. And if a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. 
And if anyone does not remain in me, he is like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. So again, he's, he's using this analogy here like he's a gardener, right? He says, I'm the vine and the branches, and, and you have to remain within me. Uh, and again, he starts with that I am statement. That's, again, it's an important statement because, again, he's, he's clarifying his divinity. He's clarifying, again, that I am God. And we talked about that last week, about the nature of the Trinity. And he's talking about these branches, and he said, some of these branches we're going to have to cut, and some of these branches are going to be pruned, but these branches are designed to bear fruit. And so there's a lot for us to dive in here. Uh, but again, the goal for us here is that there should be fruit in our lives. That if we are going to call ourselves believers, there should be a development of growth. There should be a development of what Christ is, is talking about and what he desires for us. And if we are not showing any evidence of Christ, that should cause us to consider where are we in terms of abiding and remaining in Christ. Okay, so, so again, he, he starts with, you're either going to be cut or you're going to be pruned. So let me start with the branches that are cut. So a branch that doesn't produce any fruit, he says, I'm going to cut it off because it is dead. And at that point, all that branch is, is a dead piece of wood. And he says, what do we do with that piece of wood? We pick it up and we throw it into the fire and we get rid of it because it has absolutely no value and it has absolutely no worth. So when we talk then in our spiritual sense, we are talking about individuals whose lives are lived apart from Christ. We are talking about individuals who have chosen to deny the saving grace of Jesus Christ and said, I am going to walk this journey without you and I am willing to spend eternity apart from you. And such individuals then are going to reap the wrath of God and they're going to face the consequence of such a decision and they will come to live with the reality of the perils of hell that exist. Now, I want us to be clear here because again, hell is real. It is not made in some Hollywood studio. So often the world tries to convince itself that if there is a God, there certainly could be no hell. But that is not the case at all. We see in, in Revelation 20, Then I saw a great white throne and him who seated on it. The earth and the heavens fled from his presence and there was no place for them. I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne and books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged according to what they had done, as they had done recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead that were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them. And each person was judged according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire, and the lake of fire is the second death, and anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire." And let me give you two more passages where Christ is talking about this idea that he will come to judge and he will separate those in him and those that are not in him. And we see that in Matthew 25. He says, when the son of man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. And in Matthew 3, his winnowing fork is in his hand, 
and he will clear his threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. So hell is a real place and it exists and it exists for an eternity. There is no going to hell and then getting yourself out. There is no purgatory that exists that we can pray someone into heaven. None of that exists. But I also want us to be very clear here that because hell exists, this does not mean that God is a vindictive God or a God that is out to punish and destroy us. That is the furthest thing from the truth. I spoke several weeks ago about the God's desire is that all men would come to be saved. That God desires for all men to understand their sins and to not be left in their sins, but understand his blood on the cross and to become a part of his family, to experience the glories of the kingdom of God. He wants redemption and he wants forgiveness for us. And we see that again, as I said, as Christ went to the cross. And, and we all know John 3, 16, right? God loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes would not perish but have eternal life, right? He said, I sent my son to save you. I sent my son to redeem you. So if you think that my whole goal here is to send people to hell, you are mistaken. But we also have to be clear about that second part of John there. Whoever does not believe stands condemned. See, what, what we also have to understand is that your sins and my sins have put a path towards hell. That is the punishment for the defilement of a holy God and refusing to obey what he has called us to. But see, that path, I am set on it if I refuse to acknowledge Jesus Christ. And the only way off of that path is to find Christ as my Savior. So it is not God who sends us to hell, but it is our decision to refuse to accept him for the forgiveness and redemption of our sins. So let's be very clear about who God is and what God desires. So if more than anything, what we have to understand this is that this is a warning, again, yet again for the world, for his disciples, to say, I want you on the path to heaven and I don't want you on the path to hell. But you have to make that choice of where you're going to believe. So this brings up another interesting question here. Because he says he cuts off these branches. Can a person who is in Christ, can that person lose their salvation? That's often discussed a lot of times in, in the world. Can a, can a person who professes to be a Christian not end up in the kingdom of heaven? Well, the short answer is no. Okay, So let me walk us through this. First off, John 6. All those the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me I will never drive away, for I've come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the one who sent me. And this is the will who sent me, that I shall lose none of those he has given me, but raise them up at the last day. And then in John 10, he says, I give them eternal life and they shall never perish, for no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. We can't lose our salvation. 
If we could lose our salvation based upon the things that you and I have done, then we have never obtained salvation through grace in Jesus Christ. Right? If I have to work for it, well then yes, certainly I could lose it. But I never worked for my salvation. That was a free gift given to us by Christ. But what we need to realize is that not everyone who says they are in Christ is truly in Christ. There's a lot that will profess to be disciples, but when it comes down to it, are not his disciples. There's a lot that will come to church on Sundays. There are a lot who will give to the church, who will do the ministry of the church, but when it comes down to it, are not part of the family of God. And Christ addresses this as well. We see this in Matthew 7. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. And many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you away from me, evildoers. And we see this also in 1 John 2.19. They went out from us, but they did not really belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. But their going showed that none of them belonged to us. And in John 6, Yet there are some of you who do not believe, for God has known from the beginning which of them did not believe and would betray him. And he went on to say, This is why I told you that no one can come to me unless the Father has enabled him. And in this regard, he's speaking about Judas. And so Judas did the ministry with Christ for those three years. Judas was in charge of the treasury for those years. And in the end, it would be Judas who would betray him for a pocket full of cash. And he says to Judas, you were with me, but you didn't know me. So we have to realize there are many a Judas that exists within the church. There are many that will profess themselves to be believers, but have chosen not to remain in Christ, that have chosen not to abide in him. So maybe now some of you are sitting here and, and questioning, well, how do I know? Am I actually saved? Because I don't want to leave us in this peril that we should always be wondering whether or not Jesus is our savior. So let me go to the parable of the sower, Matthew chapter 13. He told them many things in the parable, saying, A farmer went out to sow his seed, and he scattered the seed. Some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up, and some fell on rocky places where it didn't have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among the thorns, which grew and choked the plants. And still other seed fell on good soil, where it produced a crop 160 or 30 times that was sown. Whoever has ears, let him hear. Life is going to ring out the inner recesses of our heart. Life is, life is going to take us and it's going to squeeze out what is inside our hearts. And it may come a year down the road. It may come five years down the road. It may come 30 years down the road. 
But at some point, there is going to be something in our life that challenges where we stand with Jesus Christ. There at some point in our life that is going to ring out what it is that we ultimately have put our trust and faith in. And for those that are in Christ, when that moment happens, you will know when you are in Christ because you will bear the fruit of Christ and all else will wither and die. So what does that mean when we produce fruit? Because that's what he's calling us to, right? He's talking to the believers and he's saying you are to bear fruit. We see that in Galatians 5, right? He talks about the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Those who are in Christ have crucified the passions of the flesh and its desires. I know I am in Christ when I produce the fruit of Christ. Because the only way that I can produce the fruit of Christ is if I am in Christ. Because my natural tendency is to fight against Christ. Now we look at this list and does that mean that people in this world that don't have Christ can't do goodness? No, that doesn't mean that. We all have the capacity to do this temporarily. We all have the ability to temporarily offer forgiveness. But a life of Christ is not a temporary lifestyle. It is a continuation of that life that happens each and every single moment. Now as believers, don't get me wrong, we will make our mistakes. But as believers, we should be the first ones to humble ourselves and to ask for forgiveness. And when we are in Christ, that should naturally be evident then in our lives. So again, when he, he talks about bearing fruit, he's referring to those believers. And so then what he says to those believers, he says, okay, if you are in me, then I am going to prune you. I, I'm going to cut the dead off in your life so that there can be growth. And when I prune you and you bear fruit, you are going to have the most succulent and juiciest and tastiest fruit that has ever existed. That's the kind of fruit that he wants within us. He, he, doesn't, he doesn't just want a, a simple, small little fruit. He doesn't want one that we say, well, that was pretty good. No, no, no. He wants the, the biggest and the best kind that we have ever had in us. But that takes tending to. And it takes a pruning in our lives. And, and when, he, when he talks about this, he kind of refers back to John 13. Remember when, when he, he washes his disciples' feet? And Peter says, wash all of me. And he says, I don't need to wash your whole body. You've already been made clean. I just need to wash your feet. Because positionally, our eternity is secure in Christ. If we have made a profession of faith, if we have trusted in him and the Spirit resides with us, we are eternally saved, but experientially, we continue to walk this journey and we continue to wrestle with the sins and the flesh that is in our lives. And he says, that is what I want to keep pruning. 
And in 1 Thessalonians there, he says, Now may the God of peace sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. We throw this word sanctification around, and it means to be made holy, to be set apart from sin. And Christ is saying, I am molding you into the image that is me. And everything that is not like me, I am going to deal with in your life. And I am going to prune it and cut it off. Because you are in me are going to become like me. Now, when I went and pruned those rose bushes, I took a pair of clippers. I took a pair of shears and I, I chopped them off. And sometimes I had to go out with the loppers and get real hard into the branches. And when you prune something, it can hurt because those shears are sharp. And we have to understand that when Christ prunes us, it's not always going to be easy. And I think there's two ways that Christ is going to prune each and every one of us. And the first one is through our life experiences. As I've already said, life is going to ring out what is in our hearts. And God is going to use difficulties and trials in our lives. Because he says, the only way that I can prune you is for you to go through this. Because when you go through something hard in life, and you feel like you are at the parched wastelands of the desert, and you are dry, and you are thirsty, and you are ready to die, that is most often when we cling to God and we say, God, there's nothing I can do here. I need you. I need all of you. And then that is when God says, that is exactly where I want you. We forge a dependency upon God in some of our darkest moments, do we not? And when we begin to wander away, God allows those things to happen. God causes those things to happen because he doesn't want us to wander off because we are his children and he will do whatever he needs to do to bring us back. But again, it's not easy. And the second thing that God is going to do is prune us through his word. There's a reason why he's given us the scriptures there's a reason why we are called to, to, to meditate upon his word. Because when we read about the story of God and we read about his promises and his covenants and we read about the history and his people and how time and time and time again, God who was calling out to his people and offering forgiveness and his people turn and spit in his face and he continues to love after them. And they find redemption. And they find an eternal salvation. What it does is it exposes to us the reality and the utmost glory of who God is and the very depths of the sins of our hearts. That is what God's word does. Hebrews 4.12 says, For the word of God is alive and active, it is sharper than any double-edged sword, and it penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow, and judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. God's word is going to show us the depravity of the soul of man, and it will convict us. 
And it should cause us to get on our knees to beg for the forgiveness of God and rest in his redemption. And yet again, he says, that is where I want you. So again, pruning of the heart is not easy. Some are more difficult to others. And sometimes we fight that pruning more than others, don't we? And God has to clip a little bit more. And God has to clip a little bit more until we're ready to submit to that pruning. But again, all of this happens only when I am in Christ. Because apart from Christ, I can't do any of this. If I don't choose to remain in him, then nothing is going to happen. And so how do I abide and how do I remain? It's through prayer. It's through a constant communication with the Father. It's through, 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 through spending time in his word and reading about what God has spoken to you and me. And it's about meditating on those passages. And it's about the fellowship of the body of believers. It's about standing together, shoulder to shoulder, arm in arm. So when the experience of life pushes us, like this moment that Christine is about to walk, we cry together and we hold each other. And it's the moments that you and I begin to wander that a brother comes over to me and he says, I love you too much to let you know that what you're doing is sin. It's about realizing that we are a people of God, that he is called to do his good works, that he has called us to be to be people of compassion and care and love, to sacrificially put ourselves out for others. It, it means that we are willing to deny our time for ourselves to say, how can I serve another individual? That's what it means to abide in him on a daily basis. And when we abide in him and we remain at the root, we see the blessings of that fruit. And so now we come to verse 7 and 8. Because again, what is the result of this? It says, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Isn't that beautiful? God says, if you ask for anything, if you are my disciple, if, if you are in me and I am in you, you can ask for anything that you want and I will give it to you. And why is he going to do that? Because, see, when I am in Christ, my heart and my desires are the things of God. They are the heavenly things above. It is no longer about what I want. Is it about the ministry and the glory of Christ? And when he says, if that's what you want, that's what I'll give you, because that's what this world is about. It is about my glory. And when his glory is had, we rejoice and say yes to the Father. That's why he gives us whatever we want when we are in Christ. And that is a joyous and blessed thing that we have. Because see, if what I want is the fruit, well, what is the fruit? The fruit is Christ. 
And if I want Christ to be glorified and God wants Christ to be glorified and that's what I'm praying for and that's what I'm living for and every action and every thought of my day is towards that, he says, oh, I will give you this on a silver platter. Because again, when Christ is glorified and God's desire is ours, then we are producing the will of our Father. And so then what does this look like? Because this pruning is difficult, and it's hard, and and oftentimes we don't want it. But when he prunes us, it puts us in the right spot that we say, now I get it, and I want to do your will, Father, and now here's what we get to see. Now here's what we get to see, starting in verse 9. He says, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be complete in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, that you love each other as I have loved you and greater love has no other than this, that he lay down his life for his friends and you are my friends if I do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything I have learned from my father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. Then the father will give you whatever you ask in my name. And this is my command. Love each other. So he says, if you're going to remain in me and you're going to obey my commands, then my joy will be complete and your joy will be complete. That when you you have the, the taste of the fruit of the Heavenly Father, there is no greater experience than that. And we find satisfaction of the soul. And then he says, what you do with that fruit, what you do with that joy, is you go and you take that fruit to others, that they may taste the very fruit that you have. And again, what is the overall fruit? It is love. Love. Love each other. Go out and love one another. Love as I have loved you. And Jason spoke two weeks ago about what that love looked like. And it's a sacrificial love. A love that says your life is more valuable than my life. A love that says I would do anything to keep you out of the perils of hell. And if that means I have to die, then so be it. This is a love so extraordinary that can only be defined by God himself when it says there in 1 John 4, 8, God is love. You know, we talk about how we love people all the time. I love my wife and I love my kids and I love the church and I love my friends. But I can't define ultimately what love is until I look at the scriptures and understand who God is. Because when I say this is love, and then I say I love my wife, now she understands what that love is. Because God has defined a love so great that it went to the cross. And in that passage there that we've just read, he says to us, I appointed this 
for you. What did God commit to us? God said, if you are going to follow and be my disciples, I am committing to a life of growth in you. I am committing to a life of transformation. I'm committing to this process of sanctifying you again and again and again. Why? Because when we experience this and we go through it, Christ is glorified and I find joy and I bless others through it. So as we go here, keep this in mind that our lives are a blessing to others, that our lives are a joy to our Savior, and he wants us to bear fruit. So go this week and bear the heavenly fruit of our Father and share the love of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord, we are so, so dearly cared for. And so often we fail to remember. So often, Lord, things in our lives happen and, and we shake our fist at you and, and we, we cry out and we complain why and we get mad at you. And that somehow you have wronged us. But Lord, what we just fail to so many times realize is what you're doing in our life is for your benefit and ours. I pray that we are conscious of the difficulties of life and the trials of life and that instead of fighting against them, that we would embrace them, Lord, because through that we will produce a fruit, we will produce the glory of the Heavenly Father. And Lord, I pray that this week we would have an opportunity to do so. Lord, give each and every one of us a chance to be a blessing. Lord, maybe it's a phone call where we simply listen. Lord, maybe it's somebody on the side of a road who's got a flat tire. Lord, maybe it's the brokenness of someone's life that we are willing to enter into. Whatever that may be, Father. Lord, I I pray that we do not go another week that doesn't get to proclaim the glory of Jesus Christ. Amen.